Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode. We're going to be breaking down and talking about the Robotech novelizations. These novelizations started in 1987 based on the Robotech animated series, and they were a collaboration between two authors that went by the pseudonym of Jack McKinney. The two authors were Brian Daly and James Lucino, who would go on to both write many amazing stories in the Star Wars universe. They used fictitious epigraphs in the style of the Dune novels and expanded the Robotech universe quite a bit in its novel form. It is the only continuity that gives us the complete story that Carl Masick, the uh, sort of creator of Robotech, Robotech was created out of three different Japanese anime series, and Carl took that and created one narrative. But in the books, we finally get the full narrative that Carl talked about, including the sequel, The Sentinels, and the stories that tie it all together, including the controversial but very fun book, End of the Circle. Today, I have a very special guest. I am talking with John, who is an expert on the novels. John himself has talked to James Lucino. Um, John is the guy that knows more about these novels than anybody else I know. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. Mr. John, how are you doing today? Hey, brother, what's up? Thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, yeah, uh, I love the Robotech novels. <laughs> it's been a fun... It, my relationship with the Robotech novels uh, goes back to the beginning, when they first came out in February of 1987. Uh, I can remember that day as if it were yesterday. Uh, uh, just a little quick uh, background... At that time, I was living in South America. Uh, I had lived all my life up in the States, but I went to high school in South America. And when I went down there in 86, Robotech had just premiered. And it really impacted a lot. And looking back now of how much it's impacted in uh, Latin America, I Robotech is is. It like has it has such a following uh, to this day that it's amazing. And I was there for when it first uh, debuted, and where I lived in Ecuador, and it was all the talk. You know, you weren't you weren't a cool kid unless you talked about yesterday's uh, Robotech episode. And in February of 1987, I came back for my summer vacation we'll call it that's the summer vacation time in ecuador from school and i was at a local mall there was a b dalton books and i walked in and i kind of on a, on a whim i was thinking you know maybe they, they have books on robotech and just released that day were sitting in the back in the science fiction section were the first four novels and that's that's where it began. I was like, oh, my God, they actually have novels on this. So I picked those up right away. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I didn't read them probably until a little later. I had uh, I mean, of course, I had grown up like you. The show was the talk of school, right? Every episode and and that episodic storytelling had us all hooked and you know the the key episodes really like blew us all away and we loved the show 
Um, later on, I actually discovered the role-playing game before I knew about the novelizations. I had the got into the role-playing game because I played Dungeons and Dragons with some friends, and another friend's like, "Oh, I got the Robotech role-playing game," and like. I, it was like a pin drop. I was like, what? Because <laughs> I just love Robotech so much. And in, I think, the role-playing books, at one point, there's a reference to the novels. And that's when I found out about the novels. And my other friend was like, I have the novels if you want to read them. I was like, great. So I did. Um, we had a uh, breaking into the history. So they had they had the original 12 novels based on the series. And they were written on a tight deadline. And I think it was about they a book said, a month. Uh, about a book a month, and and uh, Brian Daly and James Lucino would each write a book alternatingly, right? And and it's interesting they they really were good at both sounding like Jack McKinney, but once you kind of know their style, you can kind of pick it apart. But it's yeah, just cool in, how in they terms were able of like to the military stuff. In terms of sorry, in terms of like the military stuff, that was more Brian Daly because he did serve. He uh, served, right? Yes, and from if I if. If I remember from my interviews with Jim, uh, they would what they would do is write the book and then swap swap notes just to make sure that continuity wasn't lost on how the story was being told. And these guys Perfect. were on different sides of the world doing this, so that was amazing in itself. Right, and this was back back before the internet. <laughs> they were yeah. doing this via phone and. Yeah probably snail mail exactly so you know they they put in a lot of work towards making sure that the story was that at least for the most part it was on a steady trail right and then they they added their own um kind of on their own and also with the guidance of carl masick they added some things to expand the story so you know, in the original Robotech animated series, there's a constant reference to protoculture. And, you know, first it's a fuel source, and then we figure out it comes from the Invid. And in the books, protoculture becomes almost a combination of the spice from Dune and the force from Star Wars at the same time. It it does amazing things, and it, it really fills in the gaps that the animated series couldn't show. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I, I mean, it... It takes a it takes a life of its own. It's like its own sentient being, and it, in not even in certain ways, it, it controls the events. Because basically, the Robotech novel story is a predestined story. We don't find that out until end of the circle, but everything has been laid in place um, from from the beginning of how things are going to happen. Uh, you find that out in the first book, because in the first book, Genesis, we get to meet the actual, uh, ca the character of Zor, the original Zor, not Zor Prime from the Master Saga, the one who right, the Zor created, created Proto-SDF. And, you know, we find out the origins of the SDF-1 and the vision that he had. A vision that he has of Earth, and that it was going to be the place where all things, all all the wrongs were going to be righted. And as you continue through the saga, you find out Zor's history and what exactly he did to get to that point. So, uh, in one of 
one of the things that's great about the Robotech novels universe is its many themes. And one of the predominant themes is that it's a story of redemption. It's the redemption of Zor and what he did to the Invid. And his vision was part of making everything right. But even then, the, the story went further. Right. Before you say anything else, if anybody's listening to this episode, uh, the spoiler moratorium is long over. So <laughs> there's going to be spoilers ahoy for both the series uh, animated and book form. Uh, so just giving a heads up to the listeners out there. If you haven't read the novels and you don't want spoilers, maybe stop now, go read them, listen to this episode later. But otherwise, all right, <laughs> let's keep rolling. <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's it's um and there's a quite a few characters that's funny you bring uh, you mentioned that so a lot of characters have redemption arcs. Oh, uh, um, yeah, Zor, Minmay. Oh yeah. Kyle. Yes. Colonel uh, Wolf. Um yeah. my, who else am I leaving out? Uh uh Miria? Miria. Miria yeah. kind of has a redemption. I mean yeah. uh and even uh, kind of in in a sense, uh, Dana Sterling, uh, Dana True. Sterling, who didn't, uh, you don't know about, uh, you don't know about, I guess, there was a, a resentment of being left behind. And it takes a, right, in, a which very, is... in a very unique way at, at the end of the story. And even for Max. For, uh, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that the guys Brian and Jim touched upon that. You have a very a very in, uh, a very emotional moment for Max, where he's realizing of how much he he condemned himself very much for leaving Dana behind. Oh right, yeah, yep. The other thing that's uh, interesting, and and uh, I this is quite this is something that caused quite a controversy with like the fanboys that only like the animated series, um, and that's the the notion or in the novels they use the um, they advance the technology of the pilots to have what they call a thinking cap, and that's basically being that they can help drive the mecha with like a helmet, a huds up display helmet that almost senses their brain waves. Um, and it's interesting because that seemed to divide. They were like, well, you didn't see that in the show. And I was like, well, yeah, but it's not a show. It's a book and book books are different than shows. Just like the Lord of the Rings book is great, but it, if you took that same exact thing and tried to film it as a movie, it wouldn't work. They had to change quite a bit to make the movies. So I always think of that as you switch from medium to medium, things are going to be different, but it's one of the things that I really enjoyed and it made a lot more sense. And it was interesting that later on in the Macross, the Japanese Macross universe in Macross plus, they had a same sort of thing. So Jim and Brian weren't too far off. When they oh, wrote absolutely. That. Yeah. And I asked Jim, I said, you know, what's your response to the different concepts? And we brought up the thinking cap and he was like, well, why not? And, and the the premise of the books is not to be a carbon copy of the show. 
because if it were a carbon copy of the show, then what's uh, to me, what's the point of reading them? The novels gave uh, a lot more depth to its characters. Uh, the editions were, you know, it, it just taking the thinking caps, it they're just logical things. And uh, to the people who, you know, stick to their guns that the show, uh, and I hate using this word, is the only canon. Uh, Robotech, it, for me, and you know I've said this a lot in our, in our private conversations, it's all canon. <laughs> so uh, It's whatever to, canon you yeah, want, right? Exactly. You can accept it for, um, I'm the type of guy that takes the uh, square peg and puts it into the uh, triangle hole. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make it fit somehow. And uh, that's, that's just been my approach with the, with the novels. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, the idea of the thinking caps, uh, you later used in the Macross sequels. It wasn't, it, it was, uh, it was a logical concept to go with. So uh, to me, along with all it the other It just seems stuff, like if you were, if you were controlling a highly complex machine like that, if you had the ability to help control it, not only with your feet and your hands, but also, you know, thought processes that would make it a lot easier. So it wasn't a far stretch. And then there's been other science fiction books that have done the same thing. And I always thought that was cool. And like you said, the thing that, that really makes the novels is the deeper characters, the expanded political backgrounds, especially when we get like, there's some politics going on during the Macross saga in the novels Mm-hmm. Um, but really when we get to the master saga or Southern cross saga, the politics get re, I mean, it's so thick you would need a, a chainsaw <laughs> to cut through the politics of that. Yeah. And that, and that helps set us up for the Sentinels too, because that's all that political buildup. And I thought they did a really good job of setting up those characters and, and their motivations, like, especially, you know, Leonard, Oh, Leonard, uh, <laughs> you know, and you just love to hate some of these characters, um, but they also humanize them too, because, you know, and that's what a good story does is there's not a clear cut villain. I mean, Leonard was a scumbag, but he had his reasons for what he did. I'm not saying they're right, but that's a, that's a good, that's a good character. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've um, watched any modern TV, but the Yellowstone TV show is like that where everybody in that show is pretty despicable, <laughs> but you can all understand their reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. And that's one of the things I really liked about the novels. Even uh, the regent in the novels is a lot more, he's not just a cartoon villain like he was in this little bit that we saw of the animated Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a lot more defined and uh, complex. Oh, absolutely! And I, you know, you bring up a good point about the, you know, there they can be evil and despicable, but there's a reasoning behind it. I would like to attribute that to James Lucino because of what he's done in Star Wars, because he's taken on characters that. It's it. He got lucky. He's the imperial guy. He's done uh, stories about Darth Vader, uh, Darth Plagueis, and um, Palpatine. Uh, he's done Tarkin, and his style is that 
these these um characters do a lot of bad things but as you continue the story you can see why and there's sort of an empathy towards it you feel towards the end so that's you know that's a great point that you brought up about like the characters especially with leonard because when it comes to like the what was the word you used the fanboys the fanboys it's to them the novels uh assassinated the character of of leonard of leonard yeah you know i mean really he's he's a jerk in the show too just the novels i think took it to a more believable level like in the show he's just a blowhard he's like right yeah and in the novels we get a lot more explanation of of his of his xenophobia of his um like anti you know um sterling and hunter family like he's really kind of on his own he thinks that he should have been put in charge and his his way is the best way and he just comes across as one of those blowhards that always thinks he's doing the right thing and uh thankfully we have emerson there to kind of like get in his way (laughs) quite a bit yeah he's he's the he's the he's like the the ying versus the yang uh a um, compliment to the Leonard character, and when it comes to Leonard, uh, Leonard for me is one of the one of the more um, he's a complex character, but he's one of the more compelling characters in the Robotech novels universe because to me, if if you had if if I had to pick my favorite novels, it would be obviously the first one, Genesis, but it's all, right up there is Zentradi Rebellion, which is which Oh, that was so good. Let's let's talk about that. Well let's let's uh let's talk about Zentradi Rebellion, then I want to talk about some other stuff. So yeah, that I remember when that book came out specifically because that was near the end of them doing that was one of the last three books they published. Mm-hmm. And by that point um this was in like what the mid to late 90s when those three came out the book okay uh, yeah so i was i was finishing up high school and we were still playing the role-playing game a lot and uh i saw it at the store and i was like zentrati rebellion and i had remembered that there was the comic series that um oh my gosh bill spangler what's his name bill spangler had done and i had and i had flipped through a few of those and i was i i had you know, enjoyed those quite a bit. So when I saw that this was a novelization form that was taking the Zentradi Rebellion comic books that Bill Spengler did and putting it into a novel, I was really excited. And that novel really fills us in on the backstory of Leonard quite a bit. It really fleshes that character out. So that was a great, great book. Probably that's in, in my top five of the Robotech books. We'll do that at the end or near the end of the episode, John. We'll do a top five. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Robotech, and, Robotech books. Uh, but but with, uh, yeah, what you touch upon with Zentradi Rebellion, uh, you see, you see his motives, and you find out the dark secret, which actually came from the Malcontent Uprisings by Bill Spangler. Zentradi Rebellion, and uh, Jim does acknowledge it, I believe, at the beginning that a lot of this was from uh, 
some of the plot lines in Zentradi Rebellion were taken from malcontent uprisings and Leonard's true motivations behind his hatred of of the Zentradi and uh, just kind of um, <laughs> spoiler alert the um, the what we find out in the malcontent uprisings and a lot more graphic in Zentradi Rebellion is that Leonard takes on a Zentradi lover and and her name is Aloy Depara. Now, you know, over the years I've heard that makes no sense, that makes no sense, it's just character assassination. Well, when you think about it, it actually does. Uh, when it comes to the character of Leonard, he's all military, he's a conqueror, he's used to winning. And what when you're used to winning and getting your way, you get bored. You want some you want some variety. You want some uncertainty. And that's why Saloida Parra comes into the mix. You know, she uh um they hook up, she has a kid, and I think what I me playing the amateur psychologist is that Leonard looked at the the son that they had as the next conquest to expunge the Zentradi in him and turn him into, you know, a full human. Because he had done in Zentradi Rebellion, he's the man. He he's you know he's he's the reason the Army of the Southern Cross uh basically rises up, up, to, rises up to, to take the, over when the REF leaves for the Sentinels expedition. Right. And that's what I loved about the book is it filled in a huge gap. Like how did Leonard become this power? How did the Southern cross military become this powerful, this powerful figure to take over the world government like organization when the REF leaves for its Sentinel, you know, expedition. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. I mean, to, you know, to people who don't like the um the characterization of Leonard in the novels, uh hey, you're entitled to your opinion, but to me he's he's one of the most compelling characters in all of them. Yeah. I I mean, I always find that funny like if you like every character in a book, that's got to be a kind of a boring book, right? You got to like, or any show or any sort of medium, right? There's got to be the one character you're like, God, that person drives me crazy or that person's despicable. And that's how the characters play off each other. Like if Green Goblin was always nice to Spider-Man, would that be compelling? Absolutely not. So. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, so they, they did 21, we, did, we got 21 books and i'm just gonna go over um the titles real quick and then we'll break down some more of the stories and and favorites you know first we got the the first 12 books are an adaptation of the original 1985 broadcast robotech 85 episode series that's what's based on the three japanese shows macross southern cross and mospeda um, those books we have genesis which you said is is your favorite Battle Cry, Homecoming, Battle Hymn, Force of Arms, and Doomsday. That finishes up the Macross portion of Robotech. Then we get Southern Cross, Metal Fire, The Final Nightmare. That's our Robotech Masters part of the saga. And then we get Invid Invasion, Metamorphosis, and Symphony of Light. And that was the 12 books that encompassed the original series. Then... In, you know, 1985, uh, Robotech was a hit on TV. 
Harmony Gold wanted to get a sequel done. They got some money together. They got a sponsor. They were working with Matchbox Toys. They were going to have Tatsunoko Studios, who animated most of the original um, Japanese shows that composed Robotech, do the sequel. They got their money involved. They went to start making the sequel, which was going to be titled Robotech to the Sentinels, based on story ideas from Carl Masick. And then there was a massive economic uh, recession and the dollar slipped to the yen and it turned out that they weren't going to be able to afford to animate the Sentinels. So we only ever got the pilot, which composed like the first four episodes. So if you were a fan of the story, the only way you can actually experience the Sentinels is to read the books, which are the next five books in the series. We have The Devil's Hand, Dark Powers, Death Dance, World Killers, and Rubicon. And these books, interestingly enough, the Sentinel story is taking place like concurrently while the Southern Cross story is kind of going on. It, it actually, well, it starts right after Macross and runs through Southern Cross. So they were kind of concurrent stories going on. And then that leads us to the Invid Invasion. And then we got, which is probably, I'm going to say right now, my favorite book in the whole series, probably the most controversial book in the whole series. We got no, book 18, The End of the Circle, where everything comes back to the beginning. Um, and this was based on Carl Masick's notes for his uh, Robotech 3 story. And then there was a couple year gap. And then we got those last three books, with what they call the Lost Saga. And that's where we got Zentradi Rebellion. We got the Master's Gambit, which uh, the last time they printed the books wasn't re-released because the Master's Gambit is based on the story that became Robotech the movie, which was based on Megazone 2-3, which Harmony Gold no longer owns the license to. So it'll be interesting to see if we ever see that in print again. And then the very last book before the Invid Storm kind of explains the time right before the Invid Invasion based on uh, some of the other Robotech comic book stories. Um, and that's a really interesting book with some interesting happenings that go on between Dana Sterling and Jonathan Wolf. <laughs> so those are our 21 novels that we're talking about. And uh, what are some of your favorite, favorite bits of the novels, John? Oh, Actually, before we do that, before we get to our favorite bits, let's take a quick commercial break so you guys can hear about other amazing shows going on on Ruminations Radio Network, and we will be right back. You've been listening to another fine, fine podcast on the Rumination Radio Network. This is Game Agent E.T. from Oh God, It Hurts! And we hope you keep on listening to our fine, fine podcast here on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Retro Futures Culture. We're talking about the Robotech novels. I have a very special guest, John, and we are breaking down the Robotech novels co-written by Brian Daly and James Lucino, unified as one author, Jack McKinney. All right, John. Favorite Robotech storylines in the books and or characters or just favorite things you want to talk about the books? Why do you love them so much? Because I know I know this is going to go whoo, down a deep rabbit hole of fun. Oh man, it's you. Know, it's 
to me, what these such memories when I go back to first reading Genesis, I it starts you're me as a kid expecting that it starts, you know, with episode one of the um, of the of the animated show. And no, it starts off with Zor, the Zentradi, the Invid, how it's all connected, and then the actual crash of the SDF one. Uh, to me, it was right there you know, that this was going to be beyond the show. And then, it, go ahead. I was going to say that that little that, I love that part too, and that little part was sort of based on. And or maybe they did it. I think it was based on the Robotech graphic novel. Like yes. Carl Masick had yes. done that with Ken. Uh, oh, I can't remember the artist's name. Ken Stacy did the cover. Um, but yeah, that that whole little prequel, which is awesome. But continue, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, and to me, what really, uh, what really just kind of blew, blew my mind and just made me excited uh, was. The epigraphs. Uh, the epigraphs is without the epigraphs at the beginning of each chapter of every book, you have a very different feel. I I think uh, the epigraphs really add and they expand the Robotech novels universe because they give you these little snippets and teases that the possibilities. Uh, Jim Lucino told me that there were about 80 fictitious sources from where the epigraphs came, like encyclopedias, autobiographies, uh, just regular uh, quotes from characters. So that that kind of just the epigraphs take a life of their own and just really make you wonder you, know, you and I have talked about uh, you know, in our in my facebook post of how the epigraphs can create so many different spin-offs just by a few words so uh, but when i first read the collected journals of admiral rick hunter i was like oh my god i'm going to find out how rick became an admiral and everything and just you know when you're going through when Let's go by generation. Uh, in the in the Macross saga, I think uh, the first time that the um, the Veritech Rick's Veritech transforming that was mm -hmm. an incredible moment. Uh, yeah, they do a really good job in the book, not only explaining like the amazingness of it, but also the craziness, right? Because that's the scene in the show where he you know he's transforming and 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 it's a trainer veritech and it's transforming and he crashes through like four buildings just to make it land and they describe the horror to the <laughs> civilians below like of this craziness in a way that the show doesn't really ever explain the other part in that and same bit too is the the part where he where roy comes and helps him and then he pulls the trigger on that Zentradi. The way they describe that in the book is a lot more tragic for Rick. Like he is almost like psychologically scarred from that confrontation in the book. Yeah. And with the with the transformation, we got a new term, a Robotech term, mechamorphosis. Right. Yeah. I loved that term too. Yeah. So uh, with 
with all the trials and tribulations that Rick goes through, uh, you know, becoming a pilot and the experiences of the, it's an entirely different world to him. And also the, you know, <laughs> the side plot with the women in his life. Uh, so you really, it, the kid's going through a lot uh, at the young age of 18. So, uh, what I like about the books is that the Macross saga, as you see, his he's a very different guy from book one to book six. So you see the maturity. Uh, you see the maturity. Right, and there. and even more so when we get into the Sentinels too. Oh, absolutely! As as the Admiral finally, mm-hmm. and uh, other moments in the Macross saga, uh, the deaths of. Um, the oh, Roy. Roy Foker and Ben Dixon. Uh, I mean, that was on the show as a kid that blew my mind. That was the first show I'd ever seen where somebody died. But it, definitely in the book, it's even more haunting and sad. Um, not only because it's Roy, but the other characters like Claudia's story in the book has a lot more weight. It was heavy in the show, but it's it's pretty heavy in the book for sure. Oh yeah, she changes a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's she realize it's Lisa who realizes that it's all a front for positivity, uh, and that you know that Claudia is carrying a lot of um, a lot of grief with her, uh, no matter what is despite the victories and everything, but she carries a lot of grief that she hides real well. She hides real well. Uh, I think uh, another moment uh, was the the reign of death, the reign of death that uh, if, oh when you, yeah, when that, you, uh... seeing it is one thing, but when you when you read the narrative of how it's just complete and utter destru- destruction for the earth, and from from that moment on, nothing will ever be the same, and just uh, the way the guys put it in words was was amazing uh another moment is in book six doomsday when uh that last moment that last rise from the lake of the sdf1 uh to me every time i read that it 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 hits me and i can hear the robotech theme playing in the background just with the words that the guardian is back you know the the guardian and savior of macross is uh is back up in the air and standing tall and proud. And the arms were in a gest- gesture of supplication waiting for Chiron's ship. I mean, it, it just, even now I can hear Opio Minucci's uh, theme song playing in my head. Right. The score part. for the show was fantastic. And that scene, both in the show and the books, is incredible. Another, uh, characters that in the books we get a lot more into why this character is so crazy and that's chiron and azonia the zentradi that are almost like infected by i mean they were already some of the best zentradi warriors but it seems like when they get exposed to the human culture it's like they turn crazy in a weird malicious way and the way they do it in the books is really fun yeah they get a little too human (laughs) yeah yeah and yeah, Chiron. Uh, and I like the way I like the way that there's a certain uh, after after his death, 
uh, it was in Zentradi Rebellion where they kind of they say no, he's still alive. He made it out alive. He's by yeah, the guys. Like they he's a, yeah, he's like a legend. Yeah. So, and just you know, it, it, from the Macross, I think those are the moments. The Masters, I think, for me, it's the coming of age of uh, Dana Sterling, and you know, just. I I can identify a little bit with her. She if if you had if I had to pick a character from Robotech that I identify with most, it's Dana Sterling. But we really see the coming of age. We really uh, get more details about the Robotech novels, not Robotech novels, Robotech Masters. <laughs> so uh, right, yeah. I also like the camaraderie that we get more insight into the. ATAC 15th squad, you know, with Dana, with Bowie, uh, with uh, Antony, with, you know, uh, who's the Brainiac guy? Louis. 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 Yeah, we get all, we get a lot more camaraderie. And like with those epigraphs, we're getting, we get some of that background, like uh, Antony, like the, the one that, that I can recall right now that blows me away is he's telling his parents He's like, don't worry, everything's great. I'm doing fine. Hope you and dad are well, your son. And he's writing that from the middle of this crazy battle where they're getting almost decimated by biroids. And, and, I just he, thought that's- and he always makes sure to thank mom for the fruitcake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like Angelo. Uh, you, there were, it was hinted in the Masters novels that uh, he had a thing for Dana. Uh, and at the end of it, it kind of seems that way in the show too. If you read between the lines, oh yeah. And at the end, at in Final Nightmare, you kind of see them come together. But it's unfortunately it wasn't meant to be. But I do like that Angelo gets kind of his own arc in at, in the final book, so that everything works out for him. Because I, I I I've always liked the character of Angelo and. Reason being is one the camaraderie and two the uh, the the letters to home. Those are those were a nice mm-hmm. touch that the guys did. Uh, when we get a little more, uh, we get a little more information of how uh, the original Zord came to the point of um, sending the ship to Earth, and it it goes really it, it goes really into uh, a nice little. It's a nice little side story of what happened between him and the Invid and the vision that he had and that he realized that would involve a lot of hardship for the Earth. But in the end, things would be okay, despite billions and billions dying, that everything would be okay in the end. So I'm glad that they were able to uh, touch upon the um, his motivations behind sending what would become the SDF one. Uh, mm-hmm. when go ahead i've always said that the that you know because everybody loves the macross story and then probably the second most favorite and my my favorite is Mos beta the third the new generation story but really if you don't have the meat of the sandwich which is the robotech masters you don't have that story that holds kind of the whole story together without that part of the story you're missing you're missing the sandwich. All you yeah. got is the buns. 
Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The the Master Saga catches a lot of flack in terms of, like, from the animation that it's the weakest of the stories. I consider the Master Saga in terms of, like, uh, the information, the story arc, and the things that you learn in it as equally as important as the other sagas. So by no means in the novels is the master saga weak. And you know, you get um you get the information of why, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, why Zor sent the ship to to Earth. Another moment which really touched uh me uh was the death of uh, Rolf Emerson. And the guy's uh, hand yeah, hand. that was rough in the show, but it yeah, it's it's I think even more in the book. Yeah, and it, it's to me, it's kind of like uh, it. They give us just like with the Roy Foker death, it gives us the final moments before he walks into the light. So I thought that was that was a real nice touch. That's sad in its moment, but also, you know that uh, you know kind of that that hopeful type of tone uh, to where he's to where he's going for. Um, from from the physical world so uh mm-hmm. and then just kind of the oops moment uh where Zora prime thought he was going to help earth by destroying the master ship over the over the yeah. mines and then nope, he's doomed it <laughs> so right and that and then, brings us to invid invasion yeah and that you know it's it's all in line with Zora's vision nothing was going to stop what he envisioned what was going to happen and then with uh uh with the um Invid invasion i like the i like that the guys gave us the admiral rick hunter cameo at the beginning he didn't say a word he just it was just his thoughts aboard his ship and just kind of just kind of introduces the uh the the next story then which is the new generation so yeah right. we hear we hear about a admiral lot of hunter. the uh epigraphs in new generation do that in a way that's really cool because there's a they they did a couple bits in the show where they referenced it and uh as a kid i was like oh maybe we're gonna see him maybe we're gonna see him you know um but yeah in the books they definitely do it a bit more um and there's a lot more talk about hunter in the in the new generation novels um and they also get a little deeper into like jonathan wolf um why scott is kind of a jerk i mean scott comes across as kind of a jerk in the show but we get into why in the books a lot more oh absolutely uh, uh he's he's uh what was it that um oh, what was it that they said about him in an epigraph uh many considered him to be an army brat <laughs> so yeah so, and yeah. they do a and they do a really good job of showing us that history when we go to the sentinels books oh yeah and with when it comes to new generation you really be you really see how much the wars have taken the toll on earth's population that they're willing to sell out their own uh just so that the invid will let them live of course they don't right, know uh, the regis's ultimate uh, plan is to wipe them all out but in the meantime they're willing to sell out soldiers and you see uh you kind of see that almost uh, self-righteousness on on Scott's part. What are they doing? I'm here to liberate them. He's coming back to a world that really doesn't want to, in a sense, 
doesn't want to be liberated. You know, they've right. had enough of the wars. And whether it's a if it's a corrupt council or a corrupt RDF or Army of the Southern Cross or the Invit, really doesn't matter. It's all the same. So just leave us alone. Yeah, they did, and they they uh, they expanded that more in the books than they did in the uh, series, and that was also really awesome. And then we get to you know the new generation ends on the show. Uh, but finally in the books, we get the Sentinels, which they only released a pilot movie. So we finally get the Sentinels books. And that for me was what really, what made me interested in the books, because I was dying to read the story. I had seen the pilot movie. I had played the role-playing game, had come out with a Sentinel supplement and I had looked at the art and I said, man, all this stuff looks so cool. And, and I had Robotech art three, I had everything but the books. And I finally bought the Sentinels books and I wasn't disappointed because I got to see Admiral Hunter. I got to see Admiral Hayes. I got to see Scott growing up on the ship. I got to see uh, Emil Lang do his crazy magic. I got to see Max go from being an ace pilot, you know, uh, to being a commander. I got to see Miria. We got to meet a ton of new characters. Uh, we got to meet the other half of the Invid. I mean, it was a fun, like, space opera, very almost more like a Star Wars-style story. Um, and it was a ton of fun. What are your thoughts on the Sentinels, John? Uh, with um, What I loved first was the teases. The first tease came at the end of Doomsday, which was the last book in the Macross saga. And there was this one page that said, you know, in 2020, the... Rick Hunter and Lisa Hayes departed with the SDF-3. No one heard about them as the Robotech Wars continued until now, coming soon, the Sentinels. And that was like, I'm, to I'm totally in. And then you kept seeing the mentions of Hunter, uh, the SDF-3, uh, the schism within the REF. Just this, these little teases Brian and Jim just kept throwing. And you're like... By Symphony of Light, you're like, okay, I got to find out about the Sentinels. And yeah, you're right. It did not, it did not disappoint. Uh, it really took the, it really took the characters that we, that we came to know uh, to another level. We were introduced to, to some great um, new characters. Uh, we had uh, Vince Grant, Gene Grant, uh, Janice M. Uh, and then with the Sentinels themselves, I up until that point, I didn't know what I thought the Sentinels were the, you know, was the REF just kind of re, you know, redone. right. And the Sentinels completely turned out to be a different thing. It was uh, kind of a, a galactic uh, union of all the worlds that were taken over by the Invid Regent. And the REF just hopped along and just got on the bandwagon with the Sentinels and went went and did their thing so and that was another like really good thing that and i'm sure it was in carl's notes too but i feel like james and brian really politically set that up well how like basically the invid are invading all these other planets and the ref's like well we gotta take care of ourselves and 
Rick and Lisa and Max and everybody that kind of composes the people that become the Sentinels are like, but we got to save all of these people. And they leave, they, they leave their command. They, they resign from the REF to join the Sentinels and they leave the military stuff, you know, in the hands of other commanders at the REF so they can go do this. And they go on a crazy adventure to do it. Um, and I just thought that was a really cool, neat, neat turn of a story. Yeah, and we're, we're given Rebel Tech's greatest villain, which is uh, T.R. Edwards. and he Oh, is, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, he is a piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> you could take all the wars and everything, but T.R. Edwards, for me, is the, is the villain of Robotech. I mean, you even got a tease of him back in the first book. And then yeah. you get little snippet again. The teases, the, the the guys were good at teasing about the future stories. And you, once you get to the end, you know, uh, to the last book of the original story, you're like, all right, I want to know all about this. And uh, T. R. Edwards is just, uh, you know, another another villain who has his motivations and. Again, I want to. I may want to attribute this to to Jim Lucino because of this, his style of writing. There's a reason behind why he's doing what he's doing. Not just his thirst for conquest and power, but there's also a revenge factor involved. Oh yeah. So uh, I would almost say, like you know, they set us up that that the regent is the villain of the Sentinels, but really the true villain of the Sentinels is is Edwards. Absolutely, he's, he's really the villain of the whole thing, um, and he he uses the regent like a pawn. The regent thinks he's a bad guy, but uh, Edwards totally uses him, and yeah, they, they and, set and it up really well. Now. Uh, and I actually recently talked about it on my Facebook page. What I did not see coming is who Edwards hooks up with. To me, that was a W. Oh, I moment. know. I, yeah, but it was good. I agree. I was like, "Are you serious? What the hell?" I'm like, but uh, it works. It works. I was just not expecting it. Works. it so right. No, it totally works when you when you think about failed relationships. Like, oh yeah, that totally works. And then, and then the character that comes out of nowhere that you know, reading it, I wasn't expecting it, but when that character showed up, I was like, get out of here. And I, 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 at first, I was like, no, that can't be him. No, why would that be him? Why would he be here? But reading it the second time, I was like, okay, this totally makes sense that Kyle comes back in a way, in the way that he does. Yeah, another. Another um, another Rebel Tech novels moment, we'll say, was the uh, was the return of Lynn Kyle, and also and and, and it ties to the um, it ties to the theme of redemption. Uh, he gets to live the soldier's life, uh, the life that uh, you know the the military which he hated so much. Now he's become a part of and. And one of his journal writings, which was in one of the epigraphs, he says he's a man chastened because he's torn between he's torn between the life he the life he had where he battled against the military and now he's part of the military and how ironic that things have you know how things have changed. So, but yeah, the, that was another big moment for me in the uh, you kind it, it was towards the end they were kind of like not. 
they were kind of making it obvious who it was, but then when you right. finally get the reveal, it's still cool. It's still cool. And the with uh, all the different worlds that you get to learn, Kibara, uh, Praxis, Garuda, Hayden 4, Spherus, Paradin, uh, Tyrol. If I've missed any, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going by memory. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, it brings us to, to, to my favorite book, The End of the Circle, because um, it filled in some gaps, answered a ton of questions, and it's also a little bit of a mind fuck. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a really cool book, and, um, you know, I, I know that a lot of the classic Robotech fan base is not a fan of it, but I loved it. I, to me, that was everything I ever wanted um, explained. I have a couple issues with it, but the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, no, that makes sense. Considering all the other 21 books in the saga, it all fits. It was like the last piece of a puzzle, right? And then you, and you can frame it and put it on a wall. And yeah, and then you realize. <sighs> Zor, we get more of Zor's story, but then you find out that there's someone before Zor. So you're like, right. like what, we're working off of his, uh, we're working off of Hayden's uh, motivations instead of Zor's. And so you got to read it. Uh, you've got to read it through it without skipping anything, because if you skip anything, you're gonna you're gonna lose the gist of the story. My, mm-hmm. I guess. It, I will never profess that the books are perfect. They do have no. their, there's sometimes those moments where, like I said earlier in the interview, where you, you know, I got to put the, the square peg into the triangle uh, hole to make it fit. It's, it, it's not pretty at times, but, uh, but one of the, I guess one of the things I'm going to say I, I was disappointed in the raw deal that the new generation characters uh, got. Uh, yeah, they, a few of them for sure. Yeah. They were reduced to cameos except for Scott and Ariel. Everybody else, you know, got their little moment and that was it. You know, they were left on Earth. And I was sad to, uh, I was sad to read in the end that, uh, you know, the spoiler alert, uh, Lancer. Lancer wound up dying off camera or off off story, if whatever you want to call it. And right. Kind of. Uh, it didn't. Yeah. I I, I would have wanted I would have wanted more participation of those characters because they had been with Scott through so much. So so kind of yeah, you kind of see what happens to them in the end, but still I would have loved to, for them to be part. Yeah, part it's like that. It's like that saying though you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you because those are some of my favorite characters. I loved how they explained a lot of Lancer's backstory in the novelizations. They got a lot more into the detail of why he did what he did mm-hmm. for his covert ops and how he had the skills to do that stuff. Yeah. That was awesome. That was such good work that they did. So yeah, but I just love how the end of the circle explained a lot of things like the SDF one fold, the engines disappearing, and all these little things. Like I said, it fills in all these little puzzle pieces, and then you can kind of have the whole story and go, oh. I, think, wait. I, I, I would like to. <laughs> I would like to think that Brian and Jim, when they were sitting together, they were like, "We got to wrap this up, man. Somehow, right. <laughs> we told, we've got all this stuff that's pending, and we got to." 
we got to tie it up into um, we got to tie it up into a nice bow. Uh, the contents may not be pretty, but you know, we'll, we'll, let's let's try to do the best that we can. And while some you know uh, this is based off a lot, some of the story is based off of uh, Carl Masick's uh, notes for Robotech: The Odyssey. They kept the ending of how it was supposed to be and right uh, you know the, the set uh, we f- we come to find that the central figure of the entire robotech saga is lindman may and it's like i again i did not see that coming <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm reading at the end i'm like oh so this is how everything starts and uh, but even then even and Notice the title itself, The End of the Circle. That's kind of like a contradiction because a circle has no end. It just keeps going round and round and round. And and that's a reference to Carl's original notes that he wanted Robotech to be a circular story that the three, his three ideas, the original series Sentinels and he called it the Odyssey, I think was his original title for the mm-hmm. third series, would be a circular story where it would end at the Odyssey. And when the end of the Odyssey was, the end of the Odyssey shows Zor taking off in his SDF-1, and that starts the beginning of the Macross saga with the SDF-1 crashing on Earth. Exactly. But even So, then, yeah, we get that. Even then, with the, um, even then, the guys, um, the guys left the story open for more because... We hear about construction completing on SDF four, so the adventures are meant to continue. At least they they end on an ambiguous note. Right. Yeah. Well, and with that, Johnson, we've gone through the books, and the main reason I had you on here is the Robotech novels have been out of print for some time, and you have started a petition, which I'm going to link in the show notes on change.org to have the company that's now in charge of the Robotech license, um, Crunchyroll, AKA Sony, um, to re-release these novelizations. And um, you're at, I just pulled up the page. We have 599 people signed to this petition. Um, What, you know, I know like, let's be honest harmony gold has not managed this franchise well at all they kind of basically after the failure of them to animate sentinels they kind of let it linger we're lucky we got the novels and the role-playing games um we're really lucky we got the dvd re-releases in the uh, early 2000s and that's probably because carl was still alive at the time but ever since then like they it came back we got the dvds robotech.com came back it seemed like everything was going well and then it just stagnated again, right? We got yeah. some people running running the show there, steering that ship, and they don't know what they're doing. They don't care about the fans, or they don't have money, or the parent company maybe doesn't want to invest any money. But for some reason now, and I don't remember why, it may be due to the movie license that that uh, Crunchyroll slash Sony has the rights to Robotech now. But the books have been out of print for a few years. I managed to grab the Kindle editions, which are not my favorite because they're the revised text. Um, We can talk about that. But So you have this petition for the novels. Now, you had some interesting news that popped up in the past couple of days. What happened? Uh, Well, okay, we've been running the petition uh, since the end of October. And we're almost, like you said, almost at 600 uh, 
600 signatures, which can seem not like a lot, but when you when you figure that Robotech is a niche property and the novels are a niche of that niche, that's a pretty impressive number. Now, the novels have been out of print since January of 2021. They were unceremoniously taken off the market. No word. Yeah, there wasn't even an announcement. They just psh, disappeared. <laughs> and you're talking about an, a 35-year-old license with a Penguin Random House. And just for it to come to an end like that. And I can say I did reach out to Harmony Gold in 2021. About, when I found out about it was February, I reached out to them. Uh, they said, oh, we'll have news soon. Uh, I did a follow-up a few weeks later and never got a response. So, you know, the whole That sounds thing, about like the current management of Harmony Gold. So, uh, <laughs> you know, since then, and the whole how Crunchyroll came into play, and this is through Harmony Gold's own words, uh, first it was Funimation. Funimation had taken over the merchandising for uh, for Robotech, and they Robotech. said, okay. you know, they've got a team of people that's working on the merchandising." And when asked about the novels, they said, "Okay, we'll let Crunchyroll know. We'll let uh, first Funimation know. Then, in the past year, uh, Funimation was absorbed by Crunchyroll, which was purchased by Sony. So now I and I have it on video where uh, they're asked about the novels, and they're like." We'll let Crunchyroll know. So <laughs> I, I figured, let's go to Crunchyroll with this petition. And so we've been running the petition uh, for bringing the Robotech novels back in the original writings because in the 2000s, uh, Omnibus editions came out and the digital versions all came out minus Master's Gambit in 2014. These editions had changes whether it was uh spellings where whether it was kind of shifting events that were um that were shifting events uh a few years ahead or a few years back and everything was done to better align the story with the uh with Harmony Gold uh, production, and, the Shadow Crown, and with their, uh, I was hoping to avoid saying that or even hearing those words. But yes, continue. Yeah, with the shadow, it was to better align. In fact, uh, and this is, I just found this out today in kind of doing research in, in the book World Killers in the digital version. They actually put a note saying, "Here's where Robotech stops." Okay, Rubicon and End of the Circle don't count. From here, we go into the Shadow Chronicles. So all these changes were done so that it would better align to the Shadow, the Shadowverse, as I like, as I call it. And you know, it has to be said, uh, the Shadow Chronicles has failed failed to move the needle forward for Robotech. I mean, you have people talking more about the novels that they're not even in print then they do shadow chronicles I, I, well because shadow chronicles came out and then nothing happened it just sat there yeah. and it wasn't very good either in my opinion i actually actually i don't know anybody that can say tell me with a straight face that they enjoyed shadow chronicles so, it's yeah. pretty bad and, and <laughs> so shadow chronicles did nothing to move robotech forward so it's like why 
why did you need to do these changes? And I, and I pointed out, because it's in my interviews with Jim Lucino, Jim Lucino was not part of the changes done to the books. Harmony, Tommy, no. Tommy Yoon from Harmony Gold approached him and said, would you like to rewrite you know, some of this stuff so that it better aligns to what we're doing? It, Jim's a man of principle. And obviously, he's not going to do that. He's not going to take the work that he did along with his best friend, Brian Daly, uh, who sadly passed away in 1996. Not going to go in there and change it just because somebody has a different vision. So Jim passed. They, of course, it's their license. They could do what they want with it. So they went ahead and did the changes anyway. And then even when they released the digital versions in 2014, Tommy Yoon again approached Jim Lucino saying, hey, can you come out and kind of endorse these uh, novels? Jim, again, being a man of integrity and a total professional, passed because it wasn't the narrative that uh, him and Brian. It wasn't his work. It wasn't what they did. It had been altered. And so, you know, and Jim, you know, there's from a sense in talking with Jim and the interviews I've done with him, one, he considered it insulting, but in the end, it's their license. They can do what they want, but really, was it the right thing to do? Was it really necessary? That brings me to the news I found out this week that the Robotech novels are actually coming back. Now, I'm not going to claim this from, from my petition. These are... Business deals like this were probably in the works long before uh, long before I put up the petition. And for me to claim, oh, yeah, it's because of the petition, that would be incredibly dishonest of me. It would be dishonest to you and to your listeners and to everybody who has been supporting this, uh, this uh, campaign to bring them back. But I found out that they are coming back in on July 25th, 2023. And it's going to be the first Omnibus edition with the first three novels. Now, even I wouldn't even want to claim that because it's the rewrites. It's from the cover of the book. It's the cover from the Omnibus editions from 2007. And it's the ones that have the rewrites, the edits, the appendices. And it's um, it's not. It's not a victory. It's not. It's, I, I can't, in all good conscience, say that that it's that it's a good thing. And I was, and you, you saw, you heard from me uh, outside of uh, this podcast that I was pretty bummed out about it uh, because uh, the petition was just not only about bringing the books back; it was also about bringing them back in the original writings that uh, right. from Brian and, and this. This reminds me of a similar thing we had um, last year, maybe two years ago now. So when they first announced that they were going to do the Blu-ray releases of the original show, I got pretty excited. And um, because I was like, oh, they'll be in high def. They're going to look great, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they released them, but they're the they're the toyed with remastered editions, the same as they were when they did the Robotech Remix version. So they have the crappy sound effects, uh, the altered openings and endings, 
they no longer have the TV edits. They're the full uh, unedited versions of the Japanese shows that are then strung together. It just it isn't it isn't the Robotech that I grew up on. And this God, the sound effects is the worst part. That's the part that drives me crazy. I could almost live with them if it wasn't for the sound effects. But uh, this is a similar thing where we want the original books as they were printed, as we grew up with, as we read, not these revised editions to match some canon for some spinoff that never took off the ground and it's probably never going to take off the ground. So why not just give us the originals back? You, sir, have put it into words that I could not put it any better. (laughs) Thank you. That's how I felt about the Blu-ray releases, too. I was like, I'm not buying these. I was like, no, you couldn't pay me to take these. And (sighs) over the last... uh, over the last 48 hours, I was, I was thinking, do, is the petition even feasible at this point? And then I went back and looked at my own words where I said, you know, it's a long shot, but let's do it anyway. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. The worst that can happen is that they say no, but better to take the shot than forever regret that, you know, I didn't. So... After a lot of meditation, I I announced yesterday on my Facebook page that we're going forward with the uh, with the petition. And now, basically, the drive is that get them re-released in the original writings from Brian and Jim. There's a little bit over, you know, we've got a little bit over seven months before they're due to come out. If we can get to a thousand, which for me is a really significant number uh, for a niche for a niche property like Robotech. We get to a thousand, we take the petition, all the signatures, and get it to the right people, the decision makers over at Crunchyroll and at Titan Books, who's going to be the publisher of the books. Uh, if they've got to be involved too, then involve them too. But now the petition, you know, the books are coming back. So that part, you know, we don't have to worry about. It's now getting the the original writings back to um, back into publication instead of the rewrites. Because uh, what Brian and Jim did for uh, what Brian and Jim did for Robotech has been a legacy for over thirty five years, and to me, it's about that legacy, and it's also about respect for the author's uh, narrative. It's the integrity of the story. And I will admit, it's a personal bias also because Jim Lucino is a dear friend uh, over a decade. And it, to me, I'm very, I'm very passionate about, um, I'm very passionate about this um, petition. And I feel very, I guess the word is blessed. I feel blessed that almost 600 people, which I know you're included in that, have said, you know what, we believe in this enough that we're willing to take the journey with you, no matter what the outcome. So uh, we're just going to move forward with it. And the goal is to get great. to 1,000 yeah. signatures. That, and that was why I wanted to get you on the show while this petition's going so we can spread more word through the audioverse. I'm going to link the um change.org link in the show notes and that's gonna go up right it's gonna go up on slash robotech novels 
Yeah, and it's going to go up on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you listen to podcasts, the link will be there in the show notes. So hopefully people will listen to this episode, take five minutes, sign this petition. They just need your name and email and why you want to see these re-released. And, and it's really simple. And and like John said, we, we want the original ones back. We want to respect what Brian and, and James did. And uh, I mean, like I was saying, you might as well, they, they're not going to do anything. I'm, I'm tired of pretending that Harmony Gold can do anything with Robotech. I gave up on that like 15 years ago. They basically, with the release of Shadow Chronicles, they proved to me that they do, they don't know what they're doing. So um, <laughs> let's get the originals back. And that being said, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I'd like to have you on again sometime. Maybe we can talk about Star Wars or another subject that you love. In Absolutely. the science fiction genre, I, I think you that know, would be a ton of fun. Yeah, honor, uh, it's been an honor to be a guest on your show, and uh, you know, continued success on everything that you do. All right, thanks, John. You've been listening to the Retro Futurist Culture, a production of Ruminations Radio Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show, and we would love to connect with you on our social media. You can hit me up on Twitter at futurist retro please visit ruminationsradionetwork.com for additional great shows such as ruminations of red rum oh god it hurts cinephile hissy fit brevity box tony's tall tales we got all kinds of fun shows support ruminations radio network at patreon.com slash ruminations radio and for all your burning questions and passionate feedback on the network drop us a line ruminations radio at gmail.com all right, John, let's get Upio Manucci and have him coast us out. Take us home. In your head. <laughs>